Welcome everybody to another episode of my uh, podcast and as my uh, listeners always know I'm always delighted to have uh, my guests on and today is uh, is absolutely no um, no different and today is a sign of the power of, of social media and how you can not have people in your, in your lives and then very quickly you can have people in your lives and I'm delighted to have the wonderful um, Jenna Pipchuk uh, on today. Hello Jenna, how are you? I'm very well, thank you so much. Good stuff. So, um, are you becoming obsolete is the question behind my, those of you who are still calling this YouTube thing done right, for those of you who are listening, uh, the title is, Are You Becoming Obsolete? And if you're feeling slightly affronted by that, especially if you're in sales and marketing, there's a reason behind asking this question and there's a reason behind me having Jenna on as a guest. Because I saw a very interesting piece written by Brent Addison, Adamson uh, the other day in Harvard Business Review where the title was, is traditional B2B sales and marketing are becoming obsolete. Uh, Brent is the co-author of the challenger sale process and the challenger customer process, of which you are um, you should be no doubt uh, aware of. And it's a fascinating story around um, Jenna and her, her colleague uh, Jeff. Uh, what they did at the beginning of the the global pandemic was fundamentally rip up the rule book around how sales and marketing should work. And it's been hugely successful. So, uh, Jenna, I will shut up because I always waffle on too much. Uh, I always start off with a who, what, why, when, uh, where, and then let's see where this takes us. Great. Thanks, Alex. So I'm, I'm Jenna Pipchuk. I'm the chief sales officer for Smart Technologies. Uh, Smart Technologies makes uh, mostly education products. Think a, an 86-inch large uh, TV touchscreen for the front of the classroom or for the front of a, a training element or maybe a video conference. Uh, and I'm responsible for, for global sales. Uh, and uh, we were um, interested with some research that was coming out about the fact that customers prefer not to deal with the salesperson, that they would rather just do their sale digitally. So what does that mean for us as a company? Excellent. And uh, yes, I mean, there's, there's, there is this interesting narrative coming out saying that, um, you know, we don't want to talk to salespeople. My view is that we don't want to talk to salespeople. We don't want to talk to people or a combination of the um, uh, of, of, of both. So uh, you came up with what you and Smarts called um, the unified commercial engine. And what's really interesting about this, as those of you who have listened to my podcast for a while, or those of you, if you set your mind back to the podcast I recorded with Justin Michael and Patrick Joyce, probably pushing 12 months ago, some of what they were hypothesizing, well, let's just sit back and, and listen. So um, let's hear your story, Jenna. What, what happened? We know what happened at the beginning of the global pandemic, but what happened in your world in terms of smart technologies? Yeah, so, so we, we were looking at the fact that our customers preferred to buy more digitally and, and we were wondering what we were going to do as a company to deal with that. Um, we were a B2B company, 100% B2B, um, yet we have a, a large um, end customer touch point that we work with our channel to sell to. And so how were we going to respond to the changing kind of purchasing uh, flow, if you will? What we, what we noticed, I think, um, maybe a year before the pandemic started, I did a big speech about the fact that millennials were moving up and they had very distinct buying preferences from previous. And what we were finding is that the people in charge of the procurement departments, the people making the actual uh, purchasing decisions were more and more millennials and we weren't meeting their needs. So we, we stopped and we looked at it and we said, okay, what are we going to do? And we started to look in the industry and 
we heard uh, a lot of people talking about, you know, there was this, this movement to chief revenue officer, the merging of sales and marketing. But when we looked into what people actually were doing, uh, it was more talk and less doing. So we didn't actually know where we were going to end up. And we ended up uh, getting into a room and looking each other in the eye and saying, I don't know where this is going to end up. Uh, I'm in sales and the CMO looked at me and he says, I don't know where this is going to end up, but let's go through the process. Let's try to completely redefine our company from a commercial process around the customer. We didn't know at the beginning what it would look like. And as I said, reading that the, the piece that Brent wrote, I mean, you 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 went about redefining and reimagining and rebuilding it from the uh, from the ground up. And what I what I like about the story that Brent uh, that Brent shares is how you went about almost dismantling the entire sales process from from end to end, and then identifying, as I understand, where the relevant pieces of the puzzle kind of fitted from a sales and fitted fit came together from a sales and marketing um, uh, perspective. So do you want to kind of just share a little bit of how you sat in that room, you looked at your colleague, Jeff, and went, (laughs) we don't know where this is going to go. So whether you even, how do you even know where to start to kind of go down that route? Yeah, exactly. So, so um, what we did is we started to break everything out into its components. Literally mm-hmm. everything in the in the process of how a customer would um, start interacting with us, all of the touch points through, just just broke it into all the tiny little pieces, and we ended up with kind of this uh, uh, dots everywhere uh, that didn't make any sense. Uh, we also worked with some consultants early on. They had some kind of processes that helped us with some of our early thinking. Um, And then eventually we led ourselves to um, the customer journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's just the the infinite loop of the customer journey, the buying process of the customer. And we said, well, well, this is the customer's journey. How about if we completely center ourselves around their interactions? Mm -hmm. And and, uh, then we started to build, what does the customer need at every stage of the journey? And then how could we reorg around that? And, and that's really the, the beginnings of, of what we did with the Unified Commercial Engine. And so then we ended up creating kind of departments along the section of the customer journey, which I think most sales and marketing uh, teams have. You know, you have mm-hmm. people that do the demand generation and people that, you know, manage the leads and move through, through the thing. But what we were looking at was the consistency of what the customer experience was yeah. and how could we get better at looking at that all the way through. And how so you you got some you know some support from external consultancies and and so on and obviously through your own knowledge and insight. But how how did you go? What kind of data points were you looking for? How did you actually go and kind of find that in, that information, if you will, to um, dismantle and take apart that entire customer uh, customer buying journey? Well, we were lucky we had a lot of uh, information about our customer. Mm-hmm. We already had kind of a lot of customer journeys mapped. We had already moved quite far along around really understanding our customer needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just hadn't applied that to our organization. And so what we, what we ended up doing was creating what we call um, a sales pod, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, we call it a commercial pod. But it, it, we looked at how um, uh, our regions were set and then how do we look at the entire commercial process mm-hmm. uh, in that region uh, to really kind of lengthen the view of every uh, kind of person at SMART to understand those customer needs and then what they needed at certain points in their journey. And, and we, it ended up being a matrix. So if our new org structure is, is um, 
like for like. So if you have the same job, so if you're in demand gen, that's your direct management. So we get efficiencies of how they work. But the true secret sauce of the universal commercial engine is that it's a matrix and your everyday team is a regional team that goes across the entire customer journey. So the head of your pod has everybody from brand intent through the demand gen process, through the sales process, mm -hmm. through the uh, actual implementation process, and even all the way to customer support and net promoter score. So at a very regional level, or it could be a segment, you have that broad commercial, complete com uh, customer infinity loop. And when you were kind of brainstorming this with your colleague, um, it is Jeff, isn't it? Um, yeah, around, Jeff, yeah. Um, uh, around all of this, how long did it kind of take you to get to the aha moment? <laughs> I believe we have we have something uh, something here. And then the follow-up question, what was the reaction from senior management that at the start of um, you know the global pandemic, where everyone was kind of going, what the hell is going on just generally in the world, that you then came up to them with, with I guess, potentially a madcap idea that not only we've got this to deal with, we're going to completely reinvent how we do things in our go-to-market. Yeah, it took us about four to six months to, to get mm -hmm. it through um, the ideation process. And, and in the last two of those months, started to have some clarity on what we were going to end up looking like and then how we were going to implement it. Yeah. Um, the number one question I get when people ask me about UCE is, how did you get your leadership to agree to this? You know, you completely dismantled both sales and marketing. Uh, you know, I don't think I could ever get my CEO or, or my leadership to believe in it. And to be honest, uh, 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 our CEO told us later after we implemented that he never believed in it, that he just he didn't think that it was a good idea. Uh, he thought we were both a wee bit, uh, uh, you know, you know, maybe questioning uh, what we were doing. Um, but the great news was, is is he 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 let us implement it. He trusted in us enough yeah. to implement it. Um, and, and maybe we were also uh, timing helped a little bit because it, it ended up that we were launching in April of 2020. And we all know what happened in March of 2020. And so, uh, you know, it seemed at, the, at that time, the playbook didn't, you know, maybe he wasn't taking so much risk at that time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because everyone was trying to figure out what the new, what the new world order was uh, going to, uh, uh, going to look like. And just to help, I guess, the listeners kind of understand. So how many, you know, pre the unified, you know, the unified commercial engine in, in the old world, how many people in your sales function were there? How many are there? How many people in your, in your, in your marketing function? Yeah, there was about 290 between the sales and marketing function okay. uh, people that were affected, and all of them had a new title, new role. Um, most of them had a new manager, and everybody had a brand new team at the end of it. So quite a quite a lot of change management, quite a lot of um, reorg. We call it a you know a circles and squares exercise. We built <laughs> the UCE um, with no people in mind. Right. only what the structure had to be. So we had a box for every role, a skill set for every role, um, you know, how they had to go in. And then we had all kind of, I think it was 293 or 96 at the time, um, people where we had a list of their skill set, um, their, their capacity, uh, their interests. Um, and we ended up putting circles into squares after the UCE was set up. 
Uh, and we did end up with some really great people that just didn't have the skill set of what we needed to move forward in the future. And, mm -hmm. and so well, we had to, to uh, uh, set them aside and, and we yeah. had to bring in some new skill sets. And we still today go through kind of what we call a circles and squares exercise, not near as, as uh, uh, disruptive. But, you know, the point is uh, continuing to look at what the skill set of the organization is in the future mm -hmm. um, and what we need to develop so that we can uh, move into the future squares, if you will. And so for li anybody listening, thinking, oh, well, Jenna's working for a small startup. They've only got a few people. That's easy to do. 200, you know, close to 300 people we're talking here that then had to go to go th through this. And I, I like the way that you said you built the UCE, the Unified Commercial Engine, without anybody in mind, as in without anybody in mind. It was just, this is how this is going to work. The, the, this is the function and the skill of the individual that we need to do in this uh, this part. And then I guess it was the exercise mapping that back onto your current skill set, seeing what you uh, what you have. But then also, you know, dare I say, taking a, a, a brave and no doubt difficult decision with some people to say that, unfortunately, you're very good at what you do today but that doesn't fit our model for tomorrow and executing upon that yeah i mean we didn't take that lightly we're a people first company yep. you know just in relation to the size that, that 300 was about half the size of our company so mm -hmm. sales and marketing is about 50 percent of our company yeah and um yeah i mean you have to go through the people thing with care however yep. what i can say is two years in um my people know that they're being developed for the future and so like like the fact that we continue to look at uh, it's changed a little bit in in um, what we call career development you mm -hmm. know the traditional career development is i i start here i get good and then i manage people and then i manage more people and oh my gosh i have a lot of people i must be successful <laughs> um and 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 you know that's not where what sales needs sales yeah. in the future especially when you're doing a lot of the digital stuff uh, the skills are just different and so we kind of help them understand that you know this skill set might not be about managing people but this is where the demand is going to be let's get you trained up on this now because the company needs you there mm -hmm. and i just feel like they have more passion about um, their own development and feel like we're really helping them uh, develop the skills they need for the future and you know, I I'm, I mean, I, I applaud you for that. And I there's a I mean, you will see it. There's a huge narrative at the moment around the overall discontent within the SaaS space of the AE and the SDR, the AE SDR BDR complex, and AE is trying to you know, the churn rate is just massive in there. When the amount yeah. of roles that you see now active, you know, because we can work from we can work from anywhere. But if you're you know SDR going into going into you know, role you kind of got not that long to prove yourself. We'll, you, we'll chuck you out and just get another bum on bum on a seat. So I, the the fact that you you built it in, you built it with the customer first, but then we're able to flip it to go. Okay, how is this? How are we going to ensure that we're still enabling our people to develop with the right skills that is then still going to match the ever moving and ever shifting bio um, bio landscape? So it's 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 more than just doing it to meet the customer need it's also you met the the internal need for the career development which, which you know that's no that's no easy uh, no easy task to um uh, to to do no but I, i'll probably say i mean it's completely self-serving right like mm -hmm. if we want to be leading edge we have to help our people be leading edge and yeah. and so you know uh, as much as it is you know of course we're people first but it, it works because it's we think the what does the organizational skill set mm -hmm. of the future need to be uh, it's just a different way of looking at it
Yeah, I think I, it's all. I, I wish <laughs> that's why I wanted to get on the podcast. I want to get more people thinking, more people thinking in this way, more people to understand that actually there is a there is a um, a, a better way. As the podcast I released this week with Ash Roots, who's former digital officer at BT and now at, um, at my former university, again was talking about that a lot of customers, every, every business problem is unique, and we shouldn't necessarily be bringing the same kind of consulting approach and framework to that and just rebadging it as something else and i believe this is exactly the same that sales and marketing need to start to uh, really consider seriously is that what went in the last 20 years 25 years was brilliant and worked then but it's definitely not working um uh, working now so if we could then start to kind of without you giving away your kind of your secret sauce if you will give away your secret sauce if you, <laughs> if, you, if you if you choose to um to help i guess us the, the listeners, the viewers, uh, visualize in their minds what what this uni- break this unified commercial engine down or the pod down into its component parts and the the types of skills skill sets that we are talking about. Yeah, so so uh, I mean, we'll give away the the secret sauce because we we firmly believe there's uh, nothing novel in the elements of the UCE. The mm-hmm. novelness is in how we put it together, and so the real secret sauce is in broadening the understanding of the commercial process to all the people within. Okay. You know, one of one of the um, secondary uh, reasons that we did the UCE is that we had become a siloed organization. And I think yeah. a lot of organizations can relate to this. It's, yeah. we had, um, you know, very discrete um, job functions with boundaries. Mm-hmm. You do this section um, and, and then you pass it to this person and they do that section. And what we would find is when you, when you do an evaluation of why things didn't go well is you would have a lot of, well, I did my part excellently. And I don't know why those guys over there couldn't carry the baton in their section. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we were running against that kind of culture, cultural oh. problem. And, and the UC essentially kind of blow, blew that up because when you look at the the whole interaction with the customer, many people have to get involved. Mm-hmm. And instead of having a nice kind of segment that said, I do, you know, from, uh, you know, the, the first time we see them on their, on our site until we have enough information to contact them, you know, whatever, whatever the boundaries are. Yeah. Instead of that, we, we lengthen it. We, we say, no, no, you don't have a hard line that you cut off. If you imagine kind of a long rectangle and then you draw a line from one one corner to the other, so you kind of have these two two funny yep. looking triangles, mm-hmm. we, we say you have to embrace the gray. So you are actually responsible for the longer element. You might be more responsible on the left side yep. and not very responsible on the right side, but you don't get to pass a baton and walk away and say, I'm not responsible for the next section. Mm-hmm. Same way as if you're the person receiving the baton, you don't actually have a hard cutoff where you take it. You may be less responsible responsible on the left side and very mm-hmm. responsible on the right side but it's it's this um idea that you don't pass a baton you guys are on one journey together and you're yeah. varying the level of responsibility as you go and so so what happens there is is it creates a lot of gray we call it embrace the gray because it's not very clear that you know uh like for instance my sdrs mm-hmm. um you know they take leads from a demand gen person yep. which leads to an acceptance rate right yep. but but they don't get to just say oh those leads are bad they are responsible for the acceptance rate they have to be working together to okay. make sure that they're getting in the right leads and what's wrong and how to fix it mm-hmm. and so Again, it's it's just that the the embrace the gray means you have to work together to collaboratively solve, which means you have to understand the bigger picture, and and that has turned out to be 
the secret sauce is the entire UCE has a pod leader who can really understand what brand intent is as a metric, yeah. not just kind of, I think Jeff likes to say, you know, before the UCE, we would be at our monthly business review meetings and our salespeople would be on and, oh, it's brand's turn to, or it's marketing's turn to present. And they go to like the Charlie Brown teacher for those who are old enough to remember, you know, <laughs> wah, 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 brand intent. <laughs> and, and now they actually understand fundamentally that, that increasing the brand intent or maybe the out of market stuff yeah. is going to actually affect their revenue number mm -hmm. and and maybe some people know that intuitively but until they're responsible for it until they have to really know that all of these metrics um you know what is the exact acceptance rate of 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 my leads how are these leads being rated how do they compare to to some of the metrics of my segmentation you know just yeah. just expanding the knowledge so our pod leaders are we call them mini ceos mm -hmm. so they have to understand the entire customer journey to a detail that maybe a you know a, a channel manager or a sales leader didn't have to know before and so let's take the, the skill set of that the, the pod leader have they come from both a sales background and a marketing background were they just, yeah. Yeah. We, we we took the best leaders we had wherever they came from in an entire commercial process mm -hmm. we took the best leaders that we had because they have to do a lot of indirect management again yeah. your everyday team is your dotted lines yeah. Your hard direct team is is not not your everyday team. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then with regards to I uh, I guess targets and numbers and fundamentally um success, how how have you gone about or have you gone about re redesigning the kind of the 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 way that uh they are targeted and I guess uh rewarded? How's how's that work in the in the in the new model? Yeah. So, so we, um, we have key metrics, uh, like, like most organizations do, we break down um, the revenue into targets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for instance, if you have to hit X revenue, what is your win loss? So how much, you know, opportunities do you have need to have? What is your, um, you know, your, your change from, from lead to opportunity? So how many leads do you then need? What is your acceptance rate? So how many then real leads do you need? And so we broke those out into like pure numbers mm -hmm. all the way from a marketing standpoint to get to a revenue target that we were. It was a change. The yeah. marketing team in the first kind of three months of our implementation, you know, said what we have a target on our back. You know, I, I'm now responsible for X number of leads in this specific region. You know, this state has to have this and this segment mm -hmm. has to have that. And, and, I think there was a little bit of incredulity there, but it, it, it's gone away now. Now it's just like, yeah, I'm, I, I, of course I do. How else do I know if I'm doing things right? Yeah. So <laughs> it, we, didn't, we did have to do some changing in commission plans and all that stuff. We still only pay commission uh, for, for pure kind of sales and commission roles, yeah. uh, but everybody has targets. Everybody has metrics and everybody understands the key metrics across the full commercial process. Well, that's good. So, so you're not at a stage yet where um, I'm just reflecting on way back when in a previous life in in my world of recruitment that we operated as as a, a pod or a team. But the team had to hit the team had to hit a certain threshold as a team before any of us qualified for commission. So even if you as an individual level hit your number, if the team hadn't hit the number, then you get less. So it meant that we actually worked together as a collective to make sure we were hitting the. The overall team number to then qualify for and then we could share stuff amongst amongst each other so you're not there yet it sounds like in terms of the pod has an overall number it's still fundamentally down to the individuals to hit their metrics but if they do that together collaboratively co-create 
then everything should follow, right? Yeah, they, they share in their successes because at every monthly review, we, we review all the metrics. So you have to be able to stand up every month and go through every single metric of your pod. And so it's very clear what's red, green, and yellow. I, I think we maybe haven't got there just because we're having a bit too much success, right? We're, we're, we're nowhere near not hitting anything. So we don't have to penalize or, or incent people to, to continue to grow. But uh, may, maybe one day we'll get there. I, I would say more they... They have a collective ownership of the numbers, mm -hmm. whether that becomes an actual um, tie to to uh, benefits, probably at some point. But right now, yeah. I just know that if one of them isn't, you know, if one person on the team isn't hitting, the whole team is rallying to make yeah. sure because they know that their success requires each component. Because because of everything that's gone before in terms of to get to that point and so where you're um, uh, and, and to where you're at. And so you know, building on the, your your comments around you having sort of great great success around this so if you're able to share kind of any before and after stats as, as it were from what was happening before to where you are now in terms of increase in acceptance rates conversion rates revenues or anything that you can publicly share of course yeah yeah for sure i mean we're, we're two years in um so you know our total revenue when we implemented the uce uh, we're, we're just slightly off of 2x uh, mm -hmm. two years later of, of like pure revenue. We're talking mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars mm -hmm. and um, uh, it, it, it doesn't seem to be slowing down, not, not only just in numbers, but um, you know, our retention rate remains in single digits, which when I talk to my counterparts is yeah. kind of crazy during this uh, you know, time of great res uh, resignation. Um, and, and our employee engagement scores, you know, everybody kind of got a lift with COVID and mm -hmm. everybody's kind of going down in their engagement scores back. And that's what we expected. But that's not what we're finding. You know, we went from uh, 75th percentile engagement scores from kind of a Mercer rating yeah. um, when we started the UCE to now we're in the 90 percent. We're like in the now we can compare ourselves to best in class against any industry. Mm -hmm. You know, so so to see the kind of um, engagement improvements, you know, we're talking sometimes 10, 11 points off of the norm yeah. uh, in some of our questions. I mean, it's, it, it's, um, we call it humming, you know, when, when our yeah. teams are talking, they have this energy, this hum that just uh, is, is really uh, energizing. And again, just reflecting as you're, you're talking about, uh, talking about this, of course, like this is, was being done, still being done with everybody primarily working remotely rather than kind of in a, yeah. in a floor together. So, I mean, that's, that's something else that you're able to to achieve the the, the virtual hum if you, if you will in a, in a remote environment yeah i mean the um the, like the implementation was not ideal or at least we didn't think it was ideal we actually paused because we were we were launching it in april of 2020 and you know covid started in march mm -hmm. so we said are we really sure we want to do change upon change and remember at the time we were implemented we started doing layoffs we were you know all in that same instance where everybody was at the beginning of covid mm -hmm. and we kind of just checked with our team and said are you sure this amount of change is okay and they all said we believe in it let's do it um and thankfully they did in hindsight what they've told us is um, because we had such clarity on what we were implementing, that during all the chaos and uncertainty in the world, yeah. it actually helped them, you know, gave them something to, yeah. to drive towards and, and build. And so maybe the timing helped us, but gosh, we sure didn't know it when we implemented. But I guess, if, you know, reflecting on, on that kind of final piece, it's the fact that you did so much upfront work beforehand that everybody yeah. knew everybody knew exactly what was happening and, and why 
and where the pieces kind of fit together, where dare I say it, sometimes these things are done on the, on the coin in English Express and done on the back of a fag packet, on the back of a cigarette packet. And there's no real nest. We, you know, we're doing this because of X, Y, Z. We got this kind of idea and let's just kind of you know, roll with it. Rather, you know, you, you, to your point, your earlier statement, Jenna, you, you said we, we built the framework without people in mind or built the new process without people in mind and then yeah. got the, the, to the circles into the squares and then looking at what those future squares might some um, might look like and from so again just kind of kind of full back to reflecting on your the, at the beginning or right you know the, the new buyer um the new profile of buyer i don't like putting labels on people but millennials right and mm -hmm. not wanting to, not wanting to kind of talk to to, to sales people people I, I i don't know have you seen any any client feedback in terms of how they feel that you engage with them end-to-end -end compared to other companies in your in your space have you any kind of insights on that uh yeah i mean we we um we've completely redone our digital uh, you know experience so mm -hmm. websites and, and all of those things that have helped us um you know we we get more um the sense of oh you know you feel more like a a tech company or you feel mm -hmm. more futuristic from from our channel because we're a b2b um, most of what they see is just an increase in leads to them because yeah. we're now more digital because we're doing things in a different way. You yeah. know, our leads have increased more than double every year. And, and so they're seeing that benefit of, Hey, you guys just seem to have more data. You seem to be protecting my business better because you have better data. I'm getting more leads from you. Like, like, so as a partner, um, they kind of look at us more of the traditional sense of what's moving better. Yep. Um, but, but, um, I think I think that's just the reality is that, that it, it's going to take a while for everybody to understand this move to digital. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, here we are on the 4th of, what is it, March 2022 saying that it's, we'll get there eventually. Um, I, I hope we'll get there uh, eventually. And, you know, so picking up what you mentioned, you kind of dates quite a lot. Have you had, did you have to bring any new kind of systems or platforms to support this or were you able to yeah. work that you already had? That's one of the unique things about the UCE is that, so I've, I've talked about the fact that we, 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 we organized around the customer infinity loop, the customer journey. That's a, that's a standard kind of, of uh, um, uh, image, if you will, or, or used thing. What we did a little bit differently is we pulled out three areas that service the entire journey. So mm -hmm. yes, we're organized around where the customer is in the journey, but yeah. there's things like um, creative content. Mm -hmm. Every every touch point needs creative content. So our creative group is not um, part of our UCE journey. You know, we have kind of learn and buy and sell and adopt. You know, that we have those kind of categories um, mm -hmm. in in our org structure. But the creative group um, is is a separate one that that facilitates the entire UCE. Okay. We did the same with data and systems. Mm -hmm. So we took all of our Martech stack, we took all of our sales stack, we took our Salesforce, our, our data. All of those uh, guys are in a uh, and people, sorry are in a, a large group together and they service all the data and system needs for the entire UCE, okay. which also brought in some interesting, you know, things about how we can get our data to work better uh, together. <laughs> and then um, there's a, the, the product marketing and um, customer insights mm -hmm. again, because again, that has to fill the whole UCE. They're, yeah. they're a group as well. And we have what we call a, a project heartbeat. So mm -hmm. they're responsible for taking all of our listening post, posts from all the different places, mm -hmm. figuring out how to pump that information back to the relevant people with the right date, right information they need about our customers. And so that's so that's interesting then. So with regards to then let's pick up on the you know, the, the sales stack and the Martech stack is is that what 
I guess RevOps is trying to become. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would. I mean, I guess you could call it RevOps. I don't know why we don't. Uh, maybe because it was invented before we heard the term, but uh, yeah, like it is a revenue ops. It is, you know, all the technical and data needs and system needs for the entire commercial process. So, so RevOps maybe tends to stay in kind of the marketing and sales. You know, we include, you know, our customer success adoption, you know, the yeah. game, we use Gainsight. Uh, we include all of the stuff that our customer support team needs. We call that, you know, the customer experience level, but, but very similar, yes. Yeah, no, so hearing, hearing how you're describing it, it feels like you, you've created what RevOps wants to be, but the current kind of state of play from my perspective, RevOps has just been re, rebadged from, you know, sales enablement or whatever the, the next kind of thing, the next kind of piece, um, uh, the next kind of piece, uh, piece is then. And then, so staying with the, with the, the, the data piece and the, the, the technology piece, because there's a huge kind of war out there in, in terms of who wants the, uh, to have the, the dashboard that's kind of of choice. So are you, are you sitting in a sales force or have you created your own dashboards as it were to then have everything brought up into one place for people to see what's going on? Yeah, uh, mo most of what we do is in Salesforce, a lot yeah. of our data, but of course also in like Marketo and other things. Yeah. So, so we, we use like a, like a Power BI mm -hmm. and a data warehousing to kind of like pull it all together. Because yeah. because I don't think we would have enough data in one section mm -hmm. for what we would call our key metrics. We just think broader. Now yeah. that doesn't mean that that you know independently some people might be working in small segments and spend a lot of time in one system or another. But fun, and, and and I've just written a piece around this around actually um, the the the, the from my perspective the technology the technology let the technology do what the technology is designed to do get all that data out and surface it in a meaningful way in a meaningful yeah. way which then will enable the person whatever role they're in ideally in a in a construct that you created to then help them understand what the next what the next best course of action is assuming they understand what the <laughs> where the buyer is and their buyer journey that, that data is um uh is uh, uh is surfacing so with you know, reflecting on, I like your your nice turn of phrase around you know what the future what the future squares might um uh, might look like, and I appreciate we are in a you know this is being recorded on the on the on the fourth of March, so there's some you know horrible things happening over in uh, uh, over in the world at the moment. Where where do you believe this can go in terms of? sales and I appreciate I haven't preempted you on this so um, I always do this to my guests but you 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 started on an incredible journey of, of reinventing sales and marketing which is do you believe that we will be in a point where it's a totally rep free environment or do you no. think us humans still can bring some value to to the process yeah no I've, I, I fundamentally believe we need human elements uh, but I do think sales specifically and sales mar mar and marketing together are undergoing fundamental changes. Okay. You know, the, the, the winners will be those who can facilitate buying groups digitally, those who understand that it's about the assurance of the process and not the information. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and also just sales, if you just take sales and, yeah. and for a moment, we just look at sales. Field sales is undergoing tremendous change. You know, you know, inside sales, demand gen. Uh, you know, those those skills 
I've seen those salaries double, if not triple in some regions, the okay. demand for them, everybody is, is, is um, hiring in that area. Mm -hmm. And I keep telling that team, like you guys are the future of sales. And so it'll be interesting to see you know, the, the hardened field sales, you know, grew up knocking on the doors. I don't think yeah. they're going away, but they're definitely changing. And, and it's definitely becoming um, less of those. And the salary of inside is going up, you know, no longer can you just assume they're a much cheaper kind of implementation because the yeah. demand is going too high for that skill set. And so what, you know, my theory is once, once the revenue of inside, once the or so once the salary of inside is equal to field, yeah. how does that kind of flippity flop and and what yeah. what kind of new things we're going? And then of course there's just tons of AI. You know the the ability to integrate and understand data is mm -hmm. is a key element of the sales process. So you know how does that change our average salesperson? Um, persona yeah. and then don't forget that people's personalities are tied up in what they do so you know field sales is is you know a, a personality type that likes to be involved with people yeah so how is that going to evolve where they're still utilizing that skill set mm -hmm. and i i think the elements of customer service and customer success will be brought to the beginning of the sales process we have to think a little bit more, um, I call it meet the customer where they're at, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit more of the, the service where they are versus the guide them through a sales process. I think I'm, refle I'm reflecting on a discovery call that I was part of the other day, which, yeah, um, didn't go very well. Nothing to do with me, but the person on the other, other, other side had to do a bit of a, res a rescue job for, um, uh, for them. It's not even my company. Uh, but I really... That's a really interesting concept. I've never thought about that in terms of imagine if you brought customer success in way, way earlier, rather than what typically happens is, oh, I've done the deal. <laughs> You're gonna throw it over the over the big silent high fence to customer success. Yeah. It's like picks up, you sold them what? <laughs> you promised them I can do what by when? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, very typical. And it's not necessarily the what they do, it's the mindset. It's the yeah. mindset of understanding that your customer is on a journey and that you're there to service them in their whole journey. How how cohesive can you make all of those elements mm -hmm. and, and how can you let them be digital when they want to be digital yet be completely available with a human element when they're ready for it with the right human element so you know some of the the the, the human elements need to be more skilled um, at the right time mm -hmm. you know so how how you know maybe they can interact with the chat bot but once you hear certain key phrases that your ai can help you develop okay that's where you put in an experienced person because you know that they're going to be looking for x not you know force them to go through an entry level guy to do the valuation to then the next yeah. so that's why people don't want to work with the, you know it's just, just what i wrote about your yeah <laughs> This is just what I'm, I'm glad that it was. Well, it was speaking to you and Brent's story. And I haven't written for I haven't, this. Is, I haven't written a blog for a while. And I thought just get your brain in uh, in gear and uh, and write. And it's it's exactly that. There is an expectation that I've already put stuff into a website. I've already been chatting to a chatbot. I've already done something. I would expect that when I speak to a human being, I'm not going to have to repeat that process right back to the beginning because at the basic level, you should be able to to do this and. I, again, reflecting on it, it was a webinar, I think Gartner a couple of weeks ago, the future CMO, and picking up on your point around um, uh, AI and inserting the salesperson or the person, customer success, whoever, at the right yeah. time, their, their views are that CMOs will start to look at AI as a way to slow down the digital buying process. 
and then use that as a way to insert the human being at the right time to help the buyer make the right decision because there's loads of research out there with facts which says that when someone goes to an end-to-end self-service process there's typically a higher percentage of buyer regret because they've been wowed by the good website the marketing they thought this is going to solve the problem that they thought it was going to be they then bought it and gone ah Right, it doesn't yeah. do this bit or doesn't do that bit, which is yeah. a weird concept to think of. We talk about you know sales velocity and accelerating this and that, but actually slowing it, sl- helping the person slow themselves down, so that fundamentally they end up making the right decision. Everyone's happier, you get stickier, stickier customers. So um, yeah, you're right at the uh, at the uh, the forefront of, of of all of this, and it's good to actually. I said, what's was so you know keen, was so happy that you agreed to do this to actually get you on here because there's a lot of I think what was the turn of phrase that you you said it earlier uh, earlier at the beginning, but you said uh, when we spoke on the um, on the pre call, everyone is like teenage. Um, oh, this is Jeff. This is I won't steal this from Jeff. This is Jeff Jeff uh, Jeff Lowe's statement. He he says it's like teenage sex. Everybody's talking about it, but nobody's doing it. And so you know we we, we joke about that and we say, well, you know the, the the unique thing about us is mostly that we did it because everybody was talking about CROs. Everybody was talking about combining sales and marketing. You know, everybody was talking about unifying these two groups. But when we looked at when we we literally looked and searched for companies that were doing it, uh, we came up, uh, unfortunately, very short, which is why we had to kind of create it in our own mind. So, yeah, he likes to say everybody talks about it, but who's actually doing it is still uh, just uh, not quite enough just yet. <laughs> I might use that as the way to introduce this when I post this <laughs> on, uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> Teenage sex, everyone's talking about it, but no one's um, uh, no one's uh, doing it. Jenna, it's, it's been, it's been uh, what a way to end the podcast as well. It's been an absolute pleasure to um, uh, have you uh, uh, on here. Any kind of uh any well firstly where if people want to learn more about uh, what you've done you have for them to kind of find you on i guess linkedin and, and and follow up and connect with you and mention this podcast yeah for sure they can they can connect with us i mean i encourage people to read brent's article because it's really great yeah. and we are working on uh, some follow-up pieces uh, to help uh, people because uh, i think when when we wrote the article we were a year and a half in and maybe not as confident and now, now we're just seeing too many, you know, concurrent years of numbers. So we're we're quite confident to say, yeah, this this is a positive system. Perfect. I'll put the link. I still can't put the link to the article to here. I'll put the links to Jenna for those of you listening. I'm waving my arms around like a madman. Um, the link to Jenna's profile. If you're going to connect with Jenna, mention the podcast. Don't just do a blind um, a blind connect. And um, Jenna, any kind of final parting thoughts for our uh, uh, for our listeners before I let you get on with your uh, your day? Uh, well, thanks so much, Felix, for having me. I would just say, are we becoming obsolete now? We're just evolving. We are all evolving, and it, it is going to be a fun, exciting journey. Uh, and it's just not going to look the same ten years from now. What a perfect segue, Jenna. Thank you. And uh, as always, my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Really do appreciate it. If you want to be on this podcast, you want to you know what to do, breathe. And if you want to recommend anybody to be on this podcast, you know what to do. But um, as always, uh, thank you, Jenna. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great day. And I'll see everybody on the flip side.